does testosterone therapy have a role in men's health, even in those patients who have suffered from cancer of the prostate? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining us to discuss testosterone therapy, even in patients who have prostate cancer, is Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, Associate Clinical Professor of Urology at Harvard Medical School and the recent author of the best-selling book, Testosterone for Life. Thank you very much for joining us. Great to be with you, Dr. Pickard. We all went to medical school with the concept of shying away from testosterone therapy. Can you give me the historical assumption that caused this to take place? It's a fascinating story, and it's amazing. This is an area that I've done a lot of my research in and writing and lecturing. You know, when I finished my training in urology in 1988, the word was, and what we all learned, was that higher testosterone led to more rapid prostate cancer growth. Low testosterone was protective, and the idea that, you know, we would ever even think of giving testosterone to men with prostate cancer was, you know, completely prohibited because we thought of it, and we used these phrases, it was like feeding a hungry tumor or pouring gasoline on a fire. I mean, it was (laughs) the worst possible thing you could do. And as I got into my own work with this uh, straight out of training, and found that testosterone therapy was awfully good for men in terms of their sexual function, and then they came back feeling better and better. I actually started worrying that, you know, we may be taking men who have small hidden cancers, prostate cancers, and they were going to grow. So I started looking into this whole area of, you know, what's the source of the idea that testosterone is bad for prostate cancer? My own work with this was I started doing biopsies, prostate biopsies in men, for the sole indication that they had low testosterone. Because I was worried by giving them testosterone, I was going to make cancer grow. And we found something remarkable, which was that instead of it being protective against prostate cancer, we found a very high percentage of these men, one out of seven men with low testosterone but normal PSA, who had prostate cancer. And we published this in JAMA in 1996. And it was several times higher than any existing cancer rates at the time in men with normal PSAs. As a matter of fact, it was as high as other studies from the same time as men who had an abnormal PSA. And a few years later, I wrote a review together with my colleague, Dr. Roden from Brazil, who was doing a research fellowship with me for the New England Journal of Medicine. It was about the risks of testosterone. We were looking to find where the source of the old fear was still believing that, in fact, high testosterone was a problem. And after we pulled every article we could find on prostate cancer in the PSA era, which goes back to about 1984-85, we sat there dumbfounded looking at each other because we couldn't find any studies that showed it. So listen to this. I went to the basement of the Countway Medical Library at Harvard, and I found the original article from 1941 by the Nobel Prize winner Charles Huggins, the only urologist to ever win a Nobel Prize for urology. I think from the University of Chicago. Exactly, University of Chicago, absolutely. And he was the guy that put hormonal therapy on the map, beginning with the prostate. And what he showed is that in 1941, there was no treatment for metastatic prostate cancer. Most men presented with bony metastases. And he found that by castrating men or lowering their testosterone to castrate levels with estrogen, that the cancer regressed, and he used a blood test called acid phosphatase at the time, and there was no PSA yet, and he showed that it regressed. Listen to this story. He also, in the same paper, wrote that he gave testosterone to several men, and the rate of prostate cancer growth was enhanced. Those were his words. And when I looked at the paper in the results section, 
Although he said he'd given testosterone to three men, he'd only gave results for two men. And one of those men had already been castrated. Now, today we know that if you lower testosterone and then let it come back to normal, PSA would drop in a man with cancer and then it would come back, it would rise. So, in other words, the general rule that more testosterone leads to more prostate cancer was based on only one patient. It's an amazing thing. That's where it started. And Huggins kept repeating that assertion at least for 25 years. I have publications from 25 years later where the only citation he gives is his original study from 1941. So that's an amazing story where it started with one person. And the bottom line was there were a few papers from before 1982, sort of which is often where people sort of call the beginning of the modern era of prostate cancer work with new surgery and PSAs coming in shortly thereafter. And there was an important distinction that was already made in that era that didn't make it to the modern era, namely that if you gave testosterone to men who'd already been castrated, cancers grew quickly. If you gave testosterone to men who were intact, who hadn't had their testosterone levels lowered, nothing happened. So that was lost. And so today everybody has been holding on to this idea that it's still a problem. But in fact, the data are very clear now that no matter what your testosterone level is, unless you've been castrated, higher testosterone does not lead to more prostate cancer than men with low testosterone. Testosterone replacement therapy compared to placebo therapy does not create more prostate cancer. And so the latest thing now, and I just came back from our national urology meeting, we had a bunch of presentations on giving testosterone to men with prostate cancer with really benign outcomes. Would the same thing happen if you gave drugs that became quite popular? It was one of our only treatments of lowering, you know, testosterone with drugs and then taking somebody off those drugs with their gland then grow rapidly. You know, we do that now. So, you know, for decades now, if anybody's had sort of, you know, a whiff of advanced prostate cancer, the treatment has been to lower their testosterone to close to zero. Right. We don't do castration so much no, anymore. No, but we do it we use, medically. Yeah. yeah, we do it medically with these LHRH agonists. Right. And But you know what? These guys are miserable. They often have hot flashes. They lose muscle. They gain fat. They get depressed. They really have a severe version of the men that we see who have, you know, low testosterone. And it turns out that although their prostate cancer deaths may be reduced, the overall mortality is the same. These men are dying of cardiovascular deaths, which again presents an additional link between low testosterone and cardiovascular health. Remarkable. So now the latest thing is, oh, let's not keep their testosterone suppressed forever. Let's do it intermittently. So it's called intermittent androgen deprivation. And again, at our most recent meeting just this past week, that was now suggested as being the preferred mode of therapy. The guys don't have as many symptoms. To complete the story, would that go along with explaining the thing that we call the flare? Well, the flare is another amazing story. So, you know, when you give an LHRH agonist before it drops your testosterone to castrate levels, for about 10 days or so, the testosterone goes up. And the LHRH agonist came into popular use when I was in training in the mid-1980s. And again, a lot of the patients that we were seeing then had much more advanced cancer than when we see today. So they had metastatic disease. And what this flare, this rapid increase in testosterone before it comes down, 
was associated with some bad outcomes, like it was given and there were anecdotal stories of men who had vertebral collapse because they had tumor in their spine and they got paralyzed or they went into acute retention. But when you look back on that data, they're anecdotal. A lot of the bad stories happened a month or more later when they already had castrate levels of testosterone, not when their testosterone was high. And what I uncovered is and wrote about in some papers, and it's also in my book, Testosterone for Life, is that there actually were only two papers in the United States that measured PSA during the flare in these men with widely advanced prostate cancer. And you know what happened to PSA when testosterone went up? Nothing. It didn't budge. So it stays the same even though testosterone went up a lot. And then finally, when testosterone goes way down, PSA drops too. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickerton. Joining me to discuss testosterone therapy and prostate cancer is Dr. Abraham Morgenthaler, Associate Clinical Professor of Urology at Harvard Medical School and also the author of the recent best-selling book, Testosterone for Life. From your research, and actually the way you're describing it, it sounds like low testosterone might actually be a risk factor. After all, we see carcinoma of the prostate in an older population. Those people already have a decreasing testosterone. How do you tie that in? How do you answer that? You know, I don't have all the data, but I think that that may exactly be right. And the problem is, in medicine as in any field, if we have one idea that is considered axiomatic and it stays unquestioned and unexamined. The danger is not only may it turn out to not be true, but it prevents us from looking at other possibilities, and that's one of them. So you're right. We get prostate cancer when we're older and testosterone levels have declined. We never get prostate cancer in our youth, in our 20s, when we have peak lifetime testosterone, even though autopsy studies have shown for men who died from accidents or in the military, the 20-year-olds already have a substantial number of them, microfoci of prostate cancer. So if high testosterone was really a problem, we should see it in some of these men presenting in their 20s. So we have a study from, uh, that we published in, I think it was 2006, 345 men who underwent prostate biopsy with a normal PSA. The main indication was that they had low testosterone. This was based on our earlier work showing that men with low testosterone may have an increased risk of prostate cancer. And our results showed that men with more severe deficiency of testosterone compared to lesser deficiency had an increased risk of prostate cancer. In other words, if you were in the lowest third of our group based on testosterones compared to the upper two-thirds, your risk of prostate cancer was doubled, doubled. And there are a number of studies that have shown that high Gleason scores, which is the grading system, high Gleason scores is bad. High Gleason scores are associated with lower testosterone levels. There's one study with a Japanese group where they looked at biochemical recurrences after radical prostatectomy. So after radical prostatectomy, the PSA should be undetectable because everything that makes PSA should be gone normal prostate tissue, malignant prostate tissue. If it comes back after a period of time, it means that there's some prostate cancer cells somewhere in the body that are secreting PSA. So we call that a biochemical recurrence. Well, when they looked at testosterone levels in their group after radical prostatectomy, low testosterone was associated with an increased risk of biochemical recurrence. So we have 
a number of sources of evidence that suggests that the danger around prostate cancer and negative outcomes is actually low testosterone, not high testosterone. And what we've been completely ignoring is data from research laboratories in like in prostate cancer cell lines that have shown in multiple papers that high testosterone helps to maintain a well-differentiated phenotype of prostate cancer, at least in, in culture, and that lowering or removing testosterone permits growth of more de-differentiated tumor types and more aggressive phenotypes. What's changed certainly in your career and in mine, the only people I saw with the cancer of the prostate were older people. The diagnosis was often made by an elevated acid phosphatase or unfortunately some type of pathologic fracture that would take place. We're not seeing that kind of patient anymore. We're seeing, however, people who are being diagnosed much younger. It is one thing to have a low testosterone at age 80. It's another thing to have a low testosterone and be 50 years old and be cured and live the next 30, 35 years or longer with your low testosterone. How do we deal with this tension? What do we do for these patients? You know, this is the art of medicine, if you will. And the art of medicine means that sometimes we have to do the right thing for the individual person taking into account who they are, what their aspirations are, how they live, what's important to them. And sometimes we have to do it in the absence of a large body of evidence about what's right and what's not right. Sometimes we don't know. So, you know, my opinion based on my experience with men is that by and large, most men are interested in living well. You know, I hate to say it, but some guys will say, I don't want to live this way. You know, if they're feeling poorly, they say, I, you know, listen, I'd be willing to risk a shorter life if I could live better. You know, what's the point of living like this forever? Fortunately, that's how we used to see the trade-off between testosterone and life. Today, actually, both the things may be aligned. We don't have proof of this yet, but we have some evidence that is really provocative and suggestive that having a normal testosterone not only provides symptomatic benefits for men, so they live better, have better mood, more enjoyment of life, more sexual feeling, but also that it may turn out to be better in terms of their health, osteoporosis. And again, as I think I mentioned earlier, there are a few studies now that show that survival is improved in men with normal testosterone versus low testosterone. Not all the answers are in, but I think the important thing is to keep an open mind that testosterone indeed may have a place in the treatment of our male patients. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. And I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.